The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. We're concluding today this series on Jesus' teachings about community, what it means to be um, present to each other and to live and do faith with each other. And uh, give you a quick recap. We started in the first week talking about what, how we have to surrender to Christ and take up our cross and how that's the basis for all of our interactions with each other. And in the second week, we talked about unity, what it means to live together in spite of our differences and how unity is not about always agreeing with each other. It's about continuing in community with each other in spite of our disagreements. And then last week, we talked about forgiveness and the radical type of forgiveness that Jesus expects of his disciples. And that was, it was kind of a tough one. I mean, it, there's some hard words there. And then at the end of that sermon, I gave this really quick two-minute flyover of ideas about how practically we might want to uh, be forgiving people. Not just to say we do it, but some specific guidelines for forgiveness. And a couple of people said to me afterward, um, you know, there's a there's a lot there. You should do a whole series on forgiveness. And so I thought that was a pretty good idea. And uh, it's not the first time I've had somebody say to me, you know, you should do a series about the things that you don't really spend any time talking about as you go past some other topic. Um, but I thought the forgiveness one was a particularly good idea, and I think we're going to do a series on forgiveness either in January or February. So there's a little programming note for you. Keep your eyes open for that. Today, the topic uh, Jesus teaching leads us to is welcome. And before we get into that, I want to tell you a, little, a couple of little stories from, from my life. I'll start with a story from my childhood as a kid. Um, my, uh, my dad once took my friend Derek and me out to McDonald's for dinner, uh, which now that I'm a parent, I, I understand that's not really necessarily out of the goodness of a parent's heart. Oh, wouldn't you love to go out to fast food tonight? It's more like, oh... I don't have anything in the house. If I have to listen to these kids for one more second, let's go to McDonald's. Um, So I didn't know that at the time, but I thought it was just goodness of his own heart kind of thing. But um, he uh, he bought me this thing of French fries, which, you know, McDonald's French fries are, are, they come in various sizes from large to enormous and every, every shade in between. There's not really a small anymore, but um, it didn't matter. Even though it was 20, 30 years ago, um, the one he got me was the biggest one they had at the time, which was about the size of my head. Um, I had a big head even then, but, it, you know, so it was a big, it was approximately 4,000 French fries. I mean, I, I like, my eyes got big, and I pulled it out in front of me, and my dad says, okay, so dump half of those out and, and give them to Derek. Give some of those fries to him. And I was like, what fries? These fries? <laughs> to Derek? Um... I don't really want to, but I didn't understand, like, there's enough French fries in this bucket to bury me alive, okay? (laughs) I I was physically incapable of ever consuming all these French fries. If I'd had one a day, every day since that day, I'd have a thousand of them left right now. 
And my dad just wanted me to give half of them to Derek. And I said, ah, mine. So that's the first story from my childhood. Fast forward a, a decade or so, and I'm in high school. And my friends go out to a concert and uh, see this, to see this band that we all like. This is a band you've never heard of, probably. Um, <laughs> Maybe, I mean, it's the samples. Have anybody ever heard of the samples? I didn't think so. Shut up. <laughs> So the opening act for this band blew my friends away, and they bought all the CDs and they gave them to me, and so now we're all listening to this band, right? And it's this great band. They have a fantastic drummer. I was a saxophone player. They had a saxophone player. I was like, this band is awesome. Nobody's ever going to know about this band except me and my friends. And then the song, What Would You Say, came out on the radio about a year later, and suddenly everybody knows who Dave Matthews' band is, and I was so angry, (laughs) I mean, some of you are too young to understand the, the, the smallness of Dave Matthews' band in 1993. Um, but some of you are, like, too old to even know who I'm talking about at all. But <laughs> so I was, I so resented the fact that now all these, like, uncouth people who had no musical taste whatsoever suddenly liked my favorite band. <laughs> So those are two stories from my life. And I've got a third story for you here before we get to the gospel story. Um, and it's, a, it's an Old Testament story, one of the ones that you probably saw on the flannel graph if you went to Sunday school. It's the story of Jonah and the whale. You'll, even if you've never been in church before, you've probably heard the story of Jonah and the whale or the, the great fish. And Jonah was, I'll catch you up if you've never heard the story. Jonah was sent by God to go preach to the Ninevites who were not Israelites. They were a, a pagan people. And normally that's not the MO of an Old Testament prophet. Normally the prophets are speaking to the community of faith about how they need to come back to, you know, that which God has called them to. But in this case, one of the rare cases where God is sending a prophet to another uh, country, another culture, to tell them uh, you're about to be destroyed because of your wickedness. And as you can imagine, Jonah didn't want to do this. So he tried to, you know, go the opposite direction. He's like, I'm going to Spain. Um, You let me know how it works out with the Ninevites. Uh, and then there's a storm, and they throw him overboard because he realizes it's his fault. There's a storm, and then he's swallowed up by this fish. And he lives there for three days in the belly of the fish and uh, is spit up on the beach. And then he says, you know what? I think maybe I would go to Nineveh, Nineveh actually, after all, <laughs> if you're going to be putting me in fish bellies. So he goes to Nineveh, preaches to them about their impending destruction. And you know what they do? They repent. They actually listen to him, and they change their ways. And at the very end of chapter 3, the, the writer tells how God changes his mind and says, I'm, now I will not destroy them anymore. And how do you suppose Jonah reacted to this? Yay, God! More believers! It's so nice, you're not going to destroy them. No. Jonah 4, verse 1. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. Yeah, this is some guy, Jonah. <laughs> and he goes and builds a, 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 what they, they call in the Bible a booth, which is the Old Testament word for like a tent or a hut that you're going to hide under and mope and pout like a little child. Um, and then there's, the, at that point, this very straightforward story about a guy living in the belly of the whale for three days takes kind of a weird turn. Uh, and you'll have to read the rest of that story about your, uh, on your own time, but it's in the book of Jonah. Pretty easy to figure out where it is. So, so we've got those three stories, the French fries, the, uh, the, the pre-hipster music thing, 
um, Jonah and the whale. And now we come to today's gospel reading, which is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And I'll read this aloud to you. You can follow along in your Bibles. Um, If you need a Bible, there's some under your chair. We just got a whole new case of them, so some of them, like, are going to creak when you open them, and they don't have any coffee stains on them or anything, so they have that new Bible smell, right? Um, If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take one of these with you. We occasionally buy a new case of them, so. This is Jesus uh, telling us, telling one of his stories. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and at about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? And the Greek there says, is your eye evil because I am good? Kind of a nice poetic turn. So the last will be first and the first will be last. So what are the stories about the French fries and about Dave Matthews' band and about Jonah and about the wealthy landowner all have in common? I think they illustrate a tendency that's common to all of us. One that gets expressed in a variety of different ways. That tendency is the desire to protect or reserve or conserve all the things that are most special to us and to keep other people away from them. It applies to all kinds of parts of our life. I mean, our food, not just French fries, but have you ever been like one of the first people to discover the, the new trendy restaurant? And it's so good. And you think... I want to tell everybody about, oh, no, no, I don't want to tell anybody about this. I want to come here and have it be quiet, and I want to be special, and I don't want anybody else to know. And then the restaurant gets really popular, and no one ever goes there anymore because you can't get a table, and you just you want to keep that for yourself. So it's our food, it's our music, our culture, and sometimes it also applies to our faith. There's a number of ways that this tendency gets uh, expressed in matters of faith. One way is the thing that I think is the most obvious application of Jesus' parable. We see, maybe we see people who are spiritually lazy or noncommittal or just oblivious, and they've rejected Jesus. Um, and those people 
Well, don't say those people, but um, they deny Jesus and they ignore him time after time after time. And maybe, maybe you or I accepted Jesus a long time ago. And then suddenly one of these jokers sees the light and now is ready to convert. And we're like, are you kidding me? Him? Her? God, you, you must be mistaken. And churches all across the country are empty of broken people who might be ready to turn to God because they are full of broken people who want to reject people who want to turn to God because they think they're too broken. And they push them away. I mean, not, not our church. <laughs> you know those other, other churches. Our churches, you know, and I joke about that all the time, you know, well, we're better than everybody else. Uh, but actually, in this regard, I think we are pretty good most of the time. There's another way that this tendency to hoard what is good gets lived out and expressed, and uh, it's a way that's much more insidious and sneaky. And um, let me tell you how I think it plays out for us, because I do think this kind of thing is the sort of thing that we maybe are a little bit more prone to. To say, you know, we've got a, got a pretty good thing going here at our church. It's a wonderful community of faith. Every single person, I'm looking around, every single person in this room is awesome. There's lots of life here. It's lively. People's lives have been changed by their encounters with Jesus in this place. Over the past year or so, God has blessed us with, with health and a vibrant sort of growth to the point that a sanctuary that was once comfortably roomy, really, wasn't it, with about 70, 75 people in it, now is, you know, some weeks pushing 100, 110, 120 people in this little tiny room. And so it's, it's getting a little bit tighter, you know, and we don't, we don't have a tiny church anymore. I mean, it's not a mega church, <laughs> thank goodness. But it's not tiny either. I mean, our church is kind of like a porridge church. It is just right. <laughs> it is not too hot and not too cold. Uh, and there's a Bible passage about that. <laughs> um, it's in the book of Revelation, so you know we're in trouble. It's Revelation 3.16. So if you're ever thinking of happy Bible verses, you think John 3.16. And if you're thinking of, oh, crap, Bible verses, it's Revelation 3.16, and you can look it up on your own. Um, but it's just right. We have a porridge church. And it's, it's, it's pretty easy to know a lot of the people here if you want to, small enough. You could have relationships with lots of different people. It's also big enough that if you're like me and you come into a strange place and you don't want to know anybody that you can disappear a little bit. It's just right. And no one in this room would say to God, we don't want you to send us any more people because we want to keep this awesome community to ourselves and we don't want anybody else to be a part of it. It is just right. Nobody would say that to God. But one thing we might do 
that's probably just as bad as saying that to God, is be a little bit selfish with our own comfort zones. I was thinking about this. Here's a, here's a list of things that we might do. And uh, just to be fair, in every case, I chose something that I personally have done before, either in church or somewhere else, but probably really in church. You might put your uh, coat on the chair next to you as if to save it for somebody, but nobody else is coming. So you're, what you're doing is saving that extra seat for yourself so nobody, has to, nobody can sit next to you. You might um, see somebody new, new face, you've never met that person before, and, and you think, oh, I remember when I was new and nobody really talked to me. I should, I should go talk to that person, but I mean, I'm an introvert. I don't, wanna, I don't really want to do that. And so you just kind of let them stand there. Um, I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm an introvert, and I do that sometimes. <clears throat> you, might, you might be thinking about this growth we're experiencing and say, well, I, I don't care what we do, but I never, ever, 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 ever want to have another time like we had in the past where there's more than one service because it's so nice that we always get to see the people we care about every, every Sunday that we come. And if you go into two services, it's, you know, you don't get to see them anymore. And that's true. Um, and I'll remind you that I'm, I was the guy about a year and a half ago who said, we need to take our two services and make them into one. It was time to do that at that time. You might be walking into here or out of here on a Sunday and you see a weed growing in a flower bed or along the side of the building and think, that's kind of ugly. It's probably somebody's job to pull that up. sure hope they do by next week because that's ugly. (laughs) Believe me, (laughs) nobody is in charge of pulling the weed up. (laughs) Um, Nobody is in charge of that. I I walk past them all the time and I'm like, isn't somebody in charge of that yet? (laughs) Nope. Chuck Testa. Um, So I deliberately chose a whole lot of unwelcoming things that I personally do all the time, more often than I would like to admit. It's the kind of thing that I really struggle with, these kind of things. But I also think that they're the kind of things that we, as a community, kind of struggle with. And when I was preparing this series... It was maybe a month or two before the start of the series, and I was just looking at the passages that the lectionary assigned, and I saw that Jesus' teachings came in one week after another, and I thought, oh, we could do a whole series on community using these passages, and I, I was naming them just based on the topic that came up, and the first three were very easy to name. Surrender, very easy. Unity, it was very clear the passage was talking about that, and forgiveness was, like that word showed up in the passage eight or nine times, so it was dead simple to choose the name for those first three sermons and topics. This last week, which I eventually named Welcome, I went back and forth on it for probably a week, just thinking about it. What should I, should I call that one? And, I mean, I knew that this, this passage was about Jesus telling his disciples that they should not be stingy with God's grace as it might want to be poured out on other people. But what's the word that tells us that? Is it acceptance? Um, you know, because the, the, 
workers who worked all day should probably have accepted the workers who were hired at 5 o'clock. Or um, what is it? I eventually settled on welcome. It's sort of the idea of wanting to welcome people regardless of their worthiness. Um, And if you think back to the reasons why we forgive from last week, it's because we have been forgiven radically. It's the same thing with welcome. You, you don't really have an option not to welcome other people because you were welcomed by God and by, by this place. So the more I've thought about it over the past really day or two only, the more I've realized welcome was actually the perfect title to have chosen. Because the problem Jesus is getting at when he's talking to his disciples about this is not just a spiritual problem. Because as I hinted before, I think we are a superbly welcoming community on a spiritual level. It's one of the things I'm most proud about when I think of the church that we have become. We are more than willing to welcome somebody into our community who's an atheist or a Buddhist or um, irreligious or agnostic or who swears a lot or smokes a lot or drinks a lot. They say, you'll fit right in. Um, And all those things. So on a spiritual level... I think we're actually quite welcoming. But Jesus is not talking about only a spiritual problem. He's talking about a practical problem, I think. And by the way, let me tell you a little secret about the way I see the world, which I think, I think is right. Um, the, 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 the secret is this. Most spiritual problems actually have a practical solution. The, the reason that we sometimes don't think that way is because we have this false understanding of how the world works. We think that we have a, a spiritual life over here on this side of our being and then a material or a physical or a bodily life over on this side and we have to balance them and you know, keep them apart and balance them and get them close but don't let them touch and they're separate. But that's actually a heresy that the church rejected in the 2nd and 3rd century. It's the result of a of pagan Greek philosophy it's one of the central teachings uh, of Gnosticism, that there's a, a soul and a body and they are separate. Christianity traditionally teaches that the soul and the body are one, that we are whole beings and God cares about all of us. That's the Christian belief. So it's a misunderstanding and maybe, uh, maybe it's putting too fine a point on it, but I think the misunderstanding becomes a problem because sometimes we neglect obvious solution to problems of faith because we think, well, the solution couldn't be practical. We have to come up with some spiritual solution. So, you know, I can't make myself get up in the morning in time to pray before I have to go to work. What am I going to do? Um, I'll write on an info card. I'll ask the prayer team to pray for me. I'll tell my small group, and I'll have them pray for me. And we'll pray together about how I'm having trouble getting up in time to pray. And then I would just be able to be more awake in the mornings before I go to work. Or you could go to bed an hour earlier and put your stupid phone across the room so that you have to get yourself up out of bed to turn off your alarm. And then, oh, crap, it's too late. You're awake. Might as well pray. I mean, uh, listen, (laughs) I am a perpetual snoozer, right? Um. But there's a, you see, that's a spiritual problem, and you try to solve it spiritually. But all, there's a really practical way you could solve it. Simple. Go to bed earlier. Dummy. <laughs> this is what I tell myself every night at 10.30 when I'm about to start a, 
an hour-long TV show. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> yes, uh, yes, the, the, uh, the problem of welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the, <laughs> you said the words like 30 seconds ago, man. Um, the problem of, of welcome being a uh, spiritual problem that, that is also a practical problem. So yes, probably the first step, if you're having trouble being a welcoming person, might be spiritual, might be to, have, to, to seek God's uh, life-changing power in, in, in you that makes you more likely to be welcoming to people. But again, I think we are a pretty welcoming pers- people on, on that level. Um, and by the way, that means anyone that Jesus is drawing to himself, right? You don't get to just be welcoming to the people who would Listen to Dave Matthews Band in 1993, but not in 1994, okay? You have to be welcoming to everybody, even if they wear a tie and have never listened to open tunings on 88.5 and, like, eat at McDonald's, okay? In some churches, I'd be saying, you need to welcome people, even if they don't wear a tie and, you know, they listen to weird radio stations and and eat at vegan restaurants, okay? They're different, but you have to let them in. Jesus says so. I have, we have to say the opposite thing here at Artisan. <laughs> See, it's the human condition. We would like to think we're above all that, but we're not. Um, we also need to be willing to welcome people in a practical way. We need to think about welcome mats. Right? Not just the ones that go outside the door. But by the way, I'm going to buy one of those this week and stick it outside the door so that when you come in here next week, you're going to remember all this. But you want to, you want to think like a welcome mat. You need to think welcome mat about where, where you sit when you come in this room. We've talked about that a lot. You guys are doing a good job. You have front. That's awesome. Um, where you park your car. You know, park at the back where the branches are going to scrape your window or something. Um, or on the street. We have to be welcome mat people when it comes to how we arrange our chairs, and we're constantly thinking about that, trying to make the most possible space in this room. And we have some sweet new chairs being delivered on Tuesday, by the way. So all these, like, uh, cold, noisy metal chairs will be gone next week. Um, Much more welcoming. (laughs) And hopefully we'll have some of them arranged in a way that we'll have a little bit more room in this place. So we're constantly thinking about how to be welcome mat type people. We need to be welcome at people when we think about how we schedule things. The time may come when we need to have another service. It's not going to be right away, so we have time to think through that. Um, We need to think welcome at when we're trying to determine how much of our time and our money we want to give to this place so that it's as accommodating a place as it can possibly be. And we need to think about welcome at type of things when we're walking past the weeds and think, oh, that kind of looks terrible. That's a shame. You know, all these, all these things are spiritual problems with practical solutions, but they're spiritual problems. If we want to be a place of welcome, we have to solve these problems. And let me conclude by just being the tiniest bit mean to you and to myself. If we aren't willing to implement some of these practical solutions that make us continue to be a place of welcome. The same place of welcome, by the way, that we were when you walked in the door for the first time, 
if you'd like to maintain that level of welcome, we have to consider these practical solutions. And if we don't do it, then I think we are no better than the, the jealous workers in the vineyard who complain when Jesus wants to bring other people into the field and the pay and all that stuff. If we do not implement these practical welcome mat type solutions to our spiritual problem, uh, which is Jesus' command to be welcoming, then we're, we're no better than those jealous workers in the vineyard. And so, let's agree, you and me, together to think about those things, um, maybe especially in the next few weeks, because summer's winding down and um, vacation times are pretty much over and students and professors are coming back and settling into life again. And, and pretty soon we are going to have some space issues. Um, and let's not be Gnostic heretics. <laughs> Is that too strong to say? By saying, well, you know, that's all that practical stuff. That doesn't matter. Let's think about people's souls. Let's just be spiritual people. Well, spiritual people have these containers called bodies, and they need to fit somewhere. Which is probably the weirdest sentence I've ever used (laughs) to conclude a sermon. (laughs) But let's go with it. (laughs) Uh, Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this story from Jesus that reminds us that we don't get to choose on whom you bestow your grace. And the fact that we've been here a while doesn't mean that we're more special than the people who might um, show up here what we think of as late. Help us to continue to be the place of welcome that you have called us to be, that you've enabled us to be, and that has made this community so wonderful and special to us. Give us the uh, strength of will to, to do some of these practical things that maybe make us a little bit uncomfortable for a period of time, but that make others feel comfortable and welcomed so that they can come to see your presence in this place and that they might know Jesus as a result and come to follow him and serve him. And it's in his name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, <clears throat> as you respond to God's word and the Holy Spirit, who I hope is speaking to you now, I'd invite you to come and participate in the Sacrament of Communion together. Receive that as uh, food for your souls, like John Wesley said, and um, do it as an act of remembrance of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, his broken body and his shed blood. Do it as an act of unity, which we always talk about. Taking communion is the great equalizer because you all need the same grace. We all need the same grace. And uh, take it also as a, as a symbol of the welcome that Jesus presents to all people and which we want to represent in our actions and thoughts and words and in our culture. So respond as God would lead you and let's continue to worship him together uh, at the table and in song.